0: Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, again, what a joy and privilege it is to be able to be back in the pulpit and open God's word to you. And we do so this day as we carry on in the book of Acts, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 20. But going ahead to the ship, we sailed for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he had set up at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set, sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with fear and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greek of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Legacy. Legacy is one of those rich and meaningful words in the English language of that which is left behind, either physically as an inheritance, uh, but oftentimes legacy typically means that which is not physical, but that which is intangible. Memories, influence, achievements, impact upon those that are left behind. I'm not sure how much you have thought of your own legacy, about that which you will leave behind. Again, not necessarily physically or monetarily, but that lasting oppression that you will have upon your children, upon your wife, upon your grandkids, upon your friends and your spouse, those that know you. I recently watched a few documentaries about some famous musicians and bands. And that word legacy came up often. The legacy that they would leave upon the world and upon their genre of music. And younger musicians oftentimes spoke on this documentary of the influence and impact that these particular musicians had upon them. But as great as they were, and many of them were, their music and indeed their influence fades. And as some of them were alive. Some of them are now dead. In interviews, you could hear they all knew it. They knew that their heyday would come and it would go, and that soon they would be forgotten altogether. And it reminds me of what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes when he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead are already gone and know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name Is forgotten. See, if you think of your legacy, and your legacy is only about you and about your name, no matter how great that name is, it will be at very best diminished, and most likely will be forgotten altogether. So as we come to Acts chapter 20 this morning, and we think of that idea of legacy and the legacy of the apostle Paul, I have to say that I don't think the Apostle Paul was overly concerned about his own personal legacy. As he meets with the elders from Ephesus one last time at the end of his third missionary journey, his last missionary journey as a free man, he does indeed speak much about his life, about his ministry, not in a way of boasting, but rather as a way of an example to follow Because as we read through this, we see that Paul is not overly concerned about himself or even his life. However, he is very concerned about the legacy and the honor of Christ and of Christ's church. For him, that is all that matters. That is a legacy worth leaving, and as he departs from them and he departs, Soon thereafter, from this very life, he gives this departure message. And whenever there is a departure, whenever there is a closing of a chapter of life, oftentimes there's a lot of self-reflection, self-examination. And that is what I think this sermon is good for us this day, that all of us, as we think about our life, as we reflect on the the Lord would have us to do, especially as we enter into this week for, for many of us as school starts and there's a, a busy fall ahead of us, we need to think about what the Lord would have us to do and ask those questions what are we doing? And why are we doing it? And what is the legacy that we are building? And what is it that will truly endure? think Paul gives for us the path of a true, lasting legacy. And we'll see that this morning in four points. The godly life, the godly ministry, the godly reflection, and lastly, the godly concern. First, the, the godly life. As we read, we see that Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, again, at the end of his third missionary journey, and he's on a bit of a time crunch. It says that he wanted to be back for the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and so it says that he had determined to go past Ephesus, knowing that if he turned aside, it would put him behind schedule and that he would not be able to make it back in due time, but it was not because he did not want to go. He had a love for that church. They are a part of his family. And indeed, he wanted to see them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to instruct them. For he knew that this would be the last time that he would be able to do so. For it had been revealed by prophecy, as we read in here from Paul's own words, that when he went to Jerusalem, he would be arrested. In fact, in verse 23, he says that, "...imprisonment and infliction await me there." And so Paul makes this request to the elders of Ephesus to, to come and meet him in Miletus, a city south of Ephesus. Approximately a, a day's journey, which they are more than willing to do. And what I think we have in Acts chapter 20 is really one of the more touching scenes in the entire book of Acts. It's really a behind-the-curtains behind-the-scenes moment that Luke records for us. And what you should see in this passage is Paul's love for the church and the church's love for Paul. And what I think you see here is it demonstrates that Paul was not a mere hireling. He was not a pastor or a teacher or an apostle merely because that was the means by which he made a paycheck or made a living, Now, indeed, what you see from him pouring forth from his heart to these elders at Ephesus, that this is his life, that he has a love for Christ and a a love for Christ's church that flows from him. You could even say it overflows from him. It's so abundantly evident. It's palpable, isn't it, as you read through it. And he says to them in verse 18 that you yourselves know the manner in which I have lived among you the whole time, from the first day until the last day that I left. He says to you that I am no mystery to you. You are no mystery to me. We know each other. You know me. You know my character. You know my reputation. You know my work ethic. Nothing has been hidden from you. My whole life has been on display the whole time. And why is it that Paul could say that? Well, it was because he wasn't just there for an extended weekend. Paul was in Ephesus for three years. We believe this was the the longest stint that he ever stayed in, in one place. And so that you know that he knew this church and they knew him. See, it might be possible perhaps to put on a good face for a week or two, but not for three years. And so... The Ephesians knew if there was some dark, hidden secrets of the Apostle Paul, no doubt it would have come out. And yet he can say to them, you yourselves know. You yourselves know that I have lived above reproach, that which is called of of elders, and that is called of ministers. You don't need testimony. You don't need some outsider to, to tell you of who I am and what I have Sid, you know exactly who I am. And if you could summarize the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus and beyond in one word, it would be the word humility. That Paul walked humbly. Notice that. He says in verse 19 that I have served the Lord with all humility. Humility. Now, most would say that if someone says that they are humble, they're probably not, correct? Nobody says, I am so very humble. But Paul says that I have served the Lord with all humility. Not as a manner of bragging or saying, look at me, but he is saying, judge for yourselves. Again, you know the manner in which I have conducted myself. And Paul indeed came in the manner of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he says came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul served in that same manner. He gave of his life, obviously not as an atonement, only Christ can do that, but in a living sacrifice for the church of Ephesus and beyond. Paul lived what he spoke of, when he wrote to the Philippians, when he says to them, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind, Paul says, among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul imitated his Lord. Again, it's one thing to say that you are humble, but it is quite another to demonstrate it through your life and through your actions. But notice what Paul says that I served the Lord with all humility and with tears. He served the Lord and served the church with tears. One that had a, a genuine love, a genuine concern, one that weeped with and, and over this church. He says, it was not only tears, but with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. That Paul not only wept with them, but he endured trials for their sake. We know from the Apostle Paul's life that he literally sacrificed his own flesh for the good of the church. And yet he did not run away. He did not tuck tail and run No, he endured the fiery trials. For who? Not for himself, surely. But for the good of the church. He goes on to say later in verse 33 that he did not covet anyone's silver or gold or apparel. He did not do this for profit or what he could get out of it. Rather, it says in verse 34 that he worked. and In fact, he says, I worked hard. For my own necessities. And so you judge for yourselves, as the Apostle Paul would say to the Church of Ephesus, but I think the Holy Spirit would say to, to us all, "You judge for yourself. Was this a man that lived for himself? I put himself first, or did he put the needs and the cares and the concerns of others before his own? Again, Paul was no disinterested. Checked out, gain seeking hireling. No, he was a, a shepherd, indeed, a, a shepherd of the sheep, like our Lord, willing to lay down his life. And I think that needs to be said, especially today, in a world of celebrity and internet pastors those that can give wonderful speeches and and can give wonderful sermons and can give wonderful messages. And I'm not downing that. I'm thankful for for many of the pastors that I have been ministered by through their internet teaching and through their sermons. And yet, there's still something missing if that's the the only type of pastor that we are connected to. One that just gives a message from, from far away and that gives it through the means of internet or or TV, but has no life-on-life interaction with the the people of the church. That is indeed opposite of what the apostle Paul would say. Paul would say, yes, they they may be a good preacher. They may be a good teacher. But that is not the only task of being a pastor. It's the task of, of shepherding. Literally any monkey can give a good talk but it takes a lot of work to, to share your life with one another. Indeed, sometimes it's, it's a bit uncomfortable. It takes humility. It takes showing your, your, your flaws and your sin. And showing that you are a sinner saved by grace just like anyone else. And that is not just true of pastors, is it? That's true of the entire church. You can say, oh, yeah, I know Joe and Sally. They sit three rows in front of me on Sunday morning. But that is not really knowing Joe or Sally, is it? What you want to be able to say is, no, I know Joe. We're, we're in a men's Bible study together, we share with one another. We study God's word together. I I know Sally. We have served together side by side, shoulder by shoulder. We've had Joe and Sally in our homes. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've prayed together. We've shared our life with one another. That is what it means to be a part of the church That, my friends, is what Paul is describing here. What the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be. And what a blessing it is to to be a part of a church, that you have that opportunity to be able to do that. Not only to to know your pastor, but for your pastors to know you. And to, to share your life with one another. To say that I have... Serve the church and those in the church whenever and wherever needed. I've given my my blood, my sweat, my tears, my my money, the, the whole of me is invested in this particular church. Is that what you can say this morning? That my heart, as well as my life, is connected to this church. Not just the, the big C church out there somewhere, but I have love for these members. I walked in humility. I walked self-sacrificially, as the Apostle Paul would say here. And, and, and let me say, I can say it, right? I haven't been here for a couple weeks, and so uh, your toes have, have had time to heal, perhaps. So let me step on them this morning. Just like any monkey can stand up here and talk, any monkey can sit there in the pew. But it takes humility. It takes vulnerability to get a part of a church and let your cracks and, and your flaws and your sins be known. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful that you're here. This is an important part of the church. This is the part where we get our, our food for our, our mind and our heart and our soul. But it's, it's food so that you can do the rest of the, the work of the church together, one another, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, hand by hand. That's what it means to be a part of, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have a godly life, that it would be in connection with, with one another and not alone. Well, second then, not only is there a godly life, but a a godly ministry that is demonstrated what is true of Paul's life is true of his ministry, that out of his ministry, not only does he have this love for Christ and this love for the church, but he desires to proclaim to them the, the full testimony, the whole counsel of God. In fact, he says that in several different places, he says that I have testified to you, I, verse 20, have not shrunk back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I've testified, verse 25, both to the Jews and to the Greeks, that I have, verse 25, made known, made known to you and have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in verse 26 and 27, that I am innocent of the blood of Christ, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the, the whole counsel of, of God. You hear what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, I, I did not shrink back. In fact, he says it twice. I gave to you everything that was profitable. And everything that was profitable is everything that is declared to you in the counsel of God. Everything that is in the whole counsel of God. And so you notice what the Apostle Paul is saying. Not only did I share my whole life with you, but I have shared the whole counsel of God. And I have not shrunk back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Notice he does not say anything that is popular, because not everything that is profitable is popular, is it? There's many that will preach what is popular, what people want to hear. Paul says that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that there's those that desire to preach only what their itching ear desires, but not the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul says, I preach to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, from from Genesis to Revelation, because he would say again in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is profitable and is useful. And some of that profitable and useful and God breathed, inspired word of God at times takes your breath away, doesn't it? Why? Because it punches you in the gut, it slaps you across the face, it tells you of who you truly are. As he says in verse 21 I, I preached to you that you would repent, that you have the full repentance towards God, that you'd repent of all of your sins. You know of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he was willing and able to do that, he could say, I'm guilty of no man's blood. See, he had a godly ministry because he had a gospel ministry. He proclaimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something convicting about Paul's words, isn't there? And Paul can say, I'm innocent of no man's blood because I have not held back. I've declared the whole counsel of God. Can we say that about our friends, about our family, about our neighbor, our co-workers, that we have not held back from anything that is profitable? I admit, oftentimes in my own life, in given circumstances, I, I do shrink back because that's the easy thing to do, isn't it? to go with what is popular and not with what is profitable. We are to give to those that are seeking, those that are lost, the truth of God. Obviously in in love and and with tact, not with just bombs. We need to pray for not only humility, but boldness, don't we? We need some bold humility. In our life, as we think about what is it the Lord would have us to do, as we think about our own repentance, about our own faith, and and going forth with that proclamation to the world and even to the nations. Well, how do we get that bold humility? Well, I think it comes, as Paul talks about his own life, he has some good godly reflection, some self-analysis that we need to apply to ourselves this morning. He says that his time is running short. As it mentions, it says that he will be arrested in Jerusalem and it will ultimately cost him his life. And yet he still goes to Jerusalem, doesn't it? He goes to the place where he knows that he's going to have affliction and imprisonment. Again, Paul was one that was willing to to lay down his very life for the sake of Christ. But as he knows his earthly life is drawing near, what is his reflections of his own life upon? Well, we don't need to wonder. He tells us, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. That is why I say that I don't think Paul was very concerned about his own legacy. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he thought of legacy, not just his own He was only concerned with the the legacy of Christ. Christ in me, as he would go on to say, that is the hope of glory. But when he thought of his own life, he thought of no value at all. When he says, I I think of myself, I do not think of myself as being precious. I know that may come as a shock to many of us, especially in this day and age where we have so much self-love. In a day and age where we've probably been told from a very young age, and your grandmother has probably called you precious, that we are of great value in and of ourselves. And by the way, grandmas, keep, keep calling your grandbabies precious. <laughs> they are. But as we think of ourselves, we are not precious, are we? We are not of value in and of ourselves not in so much as compared to Christ. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one that we want to lay hold of. He is the one that is the treasure hidden in the field that we are willing to forsake all, to sell all in order to buy of Christ. When you think of your own life, And you think of, is my life worth surrendering to Christ? I would tell you a thousand times yes. That your life is as nothing. That Christ is of everything. Everything that is valuable. Everything that is precious. And so when people ask, will it it cost me anything to, to follow Christ? You say, yes, everything, all, the entirety of who you are, your whole life must be given to Christ. We do not hide that from them, just like Christ did not hide that from them. You remember the the rich young ruler who wanted to know of salvation, and yet it says that he went away sad. Why? Because he was not willing to forsake all. Because it said that he had great wealth, he had of great worth in his own eyes, in his own mind. And yet he did not understand that the the greater and eternal wealth, the treasure beyond comparison, stood right in front of him. That the pearl of great price was was speaking to him, and yet he turned away. How tragic. Don't turn away this day. If you do not know this Lord Jesus Christ, come to him. Know of him. Trust him in him. Because if your life was so satisfying, why would you be looking for more? And yet, for many of us, we are. We know that gnawing feeling that there must be more to life. And I tell you that there is. His name is Christ. So all who are thirsty, come and drink. All of you that are hungry, Come and eat bread without money. Come and eat and drink of Christ. As you think about your, your own life, there's, there's many things that you can be grateful and thankful for, and you ought to be. There's many things that you can delight in, many things that you've been able to do and that you've been able to accomplish, but there's one that towers above all the rest. One that is like Mount Everest. Where all others are like the mere foothills around it. And that one is Christ. If I am in Christ, then Christ indeed is my all. And so I tell you, live for Christ. Live for Christ, for He indeed is your life. As you think about your life, as you reflect upon your life, is that what you can say this morning? All I have... That is of value. All of that is precious to me is Christ. Nothing in comparison. And all blessings that I do have come in and through him alone. I hope that is what you can say this morning as you think about your life. Well, fourth and finally, we see something of a godly concern here. And Christ becomes your life, and we understand that there is no life outside of Christ, no concern for self, and what others think of you, and that you not even only not think of your own life, but not even think of your eventual death, that your death is not of a great concern, then what concerns should you have? Well, I think Paul gives two wonderful concerns as he reflects on his life, as he reflects at the end of his, his journey here, as he, as he talks to these elders, as he gives wisdom and advice to the Ephesian elders, he has, he has two concerns. Notice what he says in verse 24. And I count my life not of any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God, do you hear what Paul's concern is? I want to finish the course, and I want to be faithful to the end. I do not want to dishonor my Lord. I do not want to dishonor His kingdom. To be able to hear when my time is done, when my journey is complete, to to hear those wonderful words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Notice it does not say "good and." notorious servants not even good or prosperous servants no good and faithful servants that was Paul's concern I heard once of an elderly pastor he said when I was a young minister I wanted to be the next Billy Graham he says as I have aged my desire is narrowed into wanting to be merely faithful to the end. And you might say that is a little bit of a, a gloomy perspective, but I think it's actually a, a, a mark of maturity. It's a mark of, of godliness. That indeed we would want to, to finish our course, that we would be able to, to go across the finish line, not falling down. Not turned aside to the left or to the right, but because our eyes have been constantly fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the Alpha and Omega, the, the beginning and the end of our lives. Indeed, the Apostle Paul could say that, couldn't he? There's glorious words that he writes of in Second Timothy chapter four, the very last epistle, the very last words that he was able to write. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It says, there is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all who love his appearing. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? To be able to say that as your life draws near to the very end. Well, he not only had concern for his own faithful ending, but also that the church would have a faithful ending, that they would be faithful to the, to the very end. In fact, I, I believe that is why he called this meeting. In fact, he says in verse 28, I know that after my departure, fierce worlds will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so he says to these elders, therefore, pay careful attention. But notice what he says. First of all, pay careful attention to yourselves. Yourselves first. Being reminded that it is your holiness and your gospel ministry that is going to be demonstrated by your holiness and by your godliness. It's not the other way around. And then, as you pay attention to yourself, pay attention to the flock who have been obtained with Christ's own blood. You may not be precious, but the precious blood of Christ has been poured out for the people of God. And so therefore, they are precious. Treat them as such. And be careful, watch out, as he says, for these wolves. And you might say, how will we know? How will they know when these wolves appear? Well, Jesus clearly told us. When he says, beware of false prophets who come in amongst you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly are ravenous worlds. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, they will not walk in humility. They will not shed tears over the church. They will not undergo trials. They will not work with their own hands. They will not labor for no profit. In other words, they will not be like the apostle Paul. They'll be anti-Paul, or better yet, they'll be anti-Christ. They'll go against the model of what a true shepherd looks like. And that is why Paul gives this example of his very own life, because he says, you'll know a true shepherd when you see one, because it's been demonstrated to you. It's been modeled in front of you. And therefore, you'll be able to sniff out a fraud and a fake, one who has no care for the sheep and only has care for himself, is willing to to sacrifice the sheep for his own sake. Paul says that is not a shepherd. That is a wolf. Paul models to you what it means to be a true shepherd. One that demonstrated it with his life and demonstrated it with his ministry. One that gave the full counsel of of God. He says in verse 31 and 32, I've admonished you with the the word, the, the whole counsel of God, so that you would be built up And that you would have the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let me say to the elders, that is the task at hand that we are called to. And notice that as an entire congregation, this this idea of having elders is not something that is just made up by the Presbyterian church. In the 21st century, we, we see a, a very clear indication of how church is supposed to be managed and, and governed, but even better, shepherd through elders. That is biblical ecclesiology. That is biblical churchmanship. And the task of the elder is the task of shepherding. Not just managing, not just sitting on a board, but caring for souls, caring for those that are under them, providing and protecting with the word, let me say it's a pleasure, a true pleasure to to minister with the elders that we have here. Thank God for them. And I hope you keep them in your prayers continually. The tasks that they have been given. And they take that task and that responsibility very seriously. But let me also say to you, it's the, the responsibility of the sheep to put yourself under that care. Under the the shepherding. That you would you know your elder and that your your elder would know you. Because you can't be a a sheep alone. You can't be way out yonder and think, why is nobody taking care of me? Well, it's because you're trying to be a lone sheep. (laughs) Come be a part of the flock. And you'll get wonderful care. You'll get wonderful teaching and preaching and shepherding and, and, and being able to share your life, as I mentioned before, one with another. And what a privilege it is to do so, to have those cares and concerns be known. Again, that's a part of what it means to be a part of a sh- church. As I close, then, I want you to fix your eyes on those final words of Paul in verse 35, when he says, in all these things I've, I've shown you. I've shown you and demonstrated, modeled for you what it means to, to be a shepherd and to, to work hard. And he goes on to say, so that you would not only remember the week, but you'd also remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't think he's just talking about money there. I think he's talking about giving of one's life, giving of one's ministry. In a word, it is to give, to give of our lives, first and foremost, to Christ. As I mentioned, that comes through faith and repentance, but as we do so, we we continue to give. We give away of our lives in, in love and in service. I tell you, that's what it is. That is a summary of the Christian life. That is the summary of a a godly life. That is what's going to to leave a a legacy. That is what's going to leave a, a mark upon those that are left behind. How do you know so well? Just notice the very end of this passage. Notice what happens as Paul wraps up. He says that they knelt down and prayed and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they, they kissed him, being sorrowful because of the words he spoke that they would not see his face again. You notice the response of these elders. Do you think the Apostle Paul left an impression on them? Oh, most definitely. He gave of his heart. He gave of his life. In return, they gave of their heart and their life to him Indeed, that is what Jesus says. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life or whoever gives of his life, indeed, will find it. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a blessing it is to give, to give of our lives, to give of ourselves to Christ and to his church. Indeed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we are grateful for this wonderful model and example to us. Lord, we know that the apostle Paul was not a, a perfect man, not a sinless man by any means, in many faults. But yet, Lord, you made him a true shepherd of the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this wise counsel that he gives to the elders, Lord, he gives to us as elders, as us, as a church, as we think of what it means to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to, to be a part of the flock, a part of your care, part of the way that you help us and enable us so that we are able to give and to live, Lord, and be able to be faithful to the very end. Lord, that is our desire, that you would find us to be faithful to the very end. If that be today or this week or in a decade or a century, oh Lord, Lord, would we, by your grace and your mercy, be faithful in giving you glory and praise to the very end. We pray this all in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.